Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 10th episode, the Pierre Gasly episode of the podcast, and Break Bias is back on track and ready for race week. And not only do we have the Spanish Grand Prix, which maybe I'm a little bit too excited for, this weekend we have the Monaco Grand Prix the weekend after that. That's right, the first European doubleheader of the year and I can't wait to talk about it, so let's get right into it. It's lights out, and away we go! Oh, the Spanish Grand Prix. Typically, one of the most forgettable races of the year. But people give it a harder time than it actually deserves, at least in my opinion. Good races can happen here. You know, in 2021, Lewis, he's on pole. Max, he takes the lead in the turn one with a very aggressive move, and then we see Mercedes win it with a beautiful two-stop strategy call. Lewis blasts past uh, helpless Verstappen on the uh, final laps. I'm not sure if it was, I want to think it was the second last lap of the race, but it might have been a little earlier than that. But Lewis takes a brilliant victory thanks to Mercedes, probably, well, actually definitely best strategy call of the season when it came to just pure race strategy. I think their actual best call of the season, unless, like, I don't think it was a mandatory decision, but taking that 10-place grid penalty in Brazil, sure, they ended up getting sent to the back and qualifying because of that weird DRS uh, rear wing infringement, but I think taking that uh, 10-grid penalty to give them that power the rest of the year was brilliant. Was, it was absolutely brilliant, but in, in terms of a pure race strategy call, Spain, they nailed it. Basically, everywhere else last season, they seemed to screw it up. But I wanted to at least give them uh, at least give them their props in Spain because that was a beautiful call. And Red Bull basically did the same thing to them in return in France. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Anyway, also in 2016, Max Verstappen, he became the youngest Grand Prix winner in history at Spain. In, in uh, At 18 years of age, he beats out... Uh, the likes of Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, of course, Rosberg and Hamilton had one of their most memorable collisions that day, and that's probably what allowed um, Verstappen to take the victory. But hey, he still beat the Ferraris. He beat Ricardo, who I think had a puncture that day as well. Um, he was still brilliant, and that was a pretty unforgettable race, and it happened in Spain. There were some things that had to happen for it to be memorable, but that's the, that's the case with a lot of tracks, you know. It's not all tracks on this calendar are Spa, Frank, or Shaw, or, or uh, Silverstone, you know. Like, they're not all like that. So let's let's appreciate the good moments we've had in Spain. They're not all snooze fests. And I think part of what makes Spain a little worse than it actually is, is always having testing there. When all the teams have so much data from from doing so many laps around Spain, I think it brings... It brings the the qual the quality or the performance a little closer together. Less likely to make errors with setups and all those types of things. Um, so I think that's also what adds a little bit to I guess um, I don't want to call it the boredom of the Spanish Grand Prix, but just the lack of excitement. I, I guess that is literally the definition of boredom. But anyway, is Barcelona a banger track? Is basically what I'm getting at. And of course, it is not. But it's not that bad. Um, and you know, the biggest grief people typically have with, uh, circuit du Barcelona, Catalonia, I'm probably butchering that, 
but that is the name of the track, and it's that chicane that ends the lap. Oh, God. Uh, not only do I hate that chicane in the F1 game, it also just is brutal in real life. Um, it just kills all overtaking opportunities. The old layout was much simpler and less sloppy. It was just, if you're familiar with the track, when you you, you take a right, uh, right turn, and then it's the chicane, where in the old layout, instead of taking that right turn, you go straight on, and then it's basically a huge run onto the straight. It's so much easier for the drivers to follow through there and then kind of get a good launch onto the main straight where basically all the overtakes happen. There's two DRS zones in Spain. That is the big one, the pit straight. And the chicane just, uh, it makes the driver in front so much, it's like so much easier to get away from the driver behind. And, you know, even if their DRS overtakes, I've said this before in a previous episode, artificial overtakes are still better than no overtakes. And that chicane just kind of kills the momentum of the race, in my opinion. I don't want to get my hopes up. But, guys, I, I have saw something from an unverified source about the consideration of going back to the old layout. Maybe some more, I'm hoping some more news picks up on that. And maybe we hear from an official source that it's being considered for the future to go back to the old layout. Maybe even take a year off of the Spanish Grand Prix to get it ready for the following season with the old layout. I think people would be totally on board with that. I know there's some people that every single year before the Spanish Grand Prix, they're tweeting or they're basically bitching about get rid of the chicane or I won't watch. Like essentially it's that hated, probably the most hated corner or complex of corners in F1. And, you know, I kind of understand it. Anyway, this is the home race for Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso, of course. Alonso won this race back in 2013 and in 2006. He's the only Spaniard to take the, to take the checkered flag before anyone else at this track. However, eyes are going to be on Carlos Sainz this weekend. He got back on the podium in Miami after kind of a rough stretch of collisions in qualifying, collisions in practice, and spinouts in the race. Um, he's going to have a lot of pressure to have a good result here. In fact, Sainz has actually scored a point every single time here in F1 so far, here as in Spain, not where I am right now in Canada. But uh, this will be the first time Sainz is in a race-winning car in Spain. He is still yet to win a race in his career. But he's got the machinery. He's out of track. It's his home race. We could be looking at possibly one of the best moments of the season here. But Sainz hasn't really been that close to winning a race, has he, this year? But we can only hope. Leclerc, though, has actually never been on the podium here in Spain either. So, you know, possibly some uh, some firsts for Ferrari this weekend. Also, I guess I just want to mention, I know I said Monaco is the weekend after. How weird is it that we're getting both Ferrari drivers home race on the back-to-back? -back? It's going to be major pressure on the Scuderia to perform in this doubleheader. Um, especially with signs in Spain and Charles in Monaco is the big one. I mean, I saw WTF1 tweeted all of the incidents or mostly mechanical failures that he's had in Monaco across F2, across uh, F1 practices, qualifying races. The list is shockingly long for almost for it's just 27 to 2021. 
because 2020 also wasn't, there wasn't a race in Monaco. So that's only what, four years of racing, qualifying and practices. And he's got like over 10 mechanical failures in Monaco. If that's not a curse, I don't know what is. And then of course, big news this week at, or this, yeah, yeah, it was this weekend. Leclerc um, crashing Nicky Lauda's historical Ferrari in Monaco as well. Oh, it just, the it goes from bad to worse for Leclerc, doesn't it, in Monaco? But anyway, I don't want to talk about too much Leclerc-Monaco stuff. That's for next week. Um, so with all this being said, let's get to my predictions. Who's going to be on pole? Who will win in Spain? Um, I've been a big Red Bull predictor so far. I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I've picked Max to win in almost every single um prediction so far and I think I have per I might have had Perez in one of them I've been hard on the Red Bull train and maybe that's just because of me being a Mercedes fan last year always just being like oh man like it's going to be Red Bull again isn't it but this week I'm finally finally going to predict Ferrari I think it swings back Ferrari's way this weekend and maybe I'm looking too much into testing like a lot of people do but Ferrari looked great here they have an upgrade package on the way, although as does Red Bull, and I'm, I'm going to get into that later. But I think Leclerc, or even Science has a great shot at a win here. Um, Max is always going to be there, but I'm going to go with Leclerc on pole. And I think um, Science is going to grab two in qual- uh, P2 in qualifying, but I, I got Leclerc winning the race. Um, and I think Max is going to uh, snag that P2 to keep that consistency streak going of Every time he finishes, it's P1 or P2. I think Max is going to continue that this weekend. No reason to believe he wouldn't. He's just that special. Signs is going to fall back to P3, just like Miami. Ferrari front row lockout, but a 1-3. Well, I guess Miami was a 2-3 finish, but a 1-3 finish is going to happen in Spain. That is my prediction. Um, I'm going to lamely put Perez in P4, but I got Lando in P5, Lewis P6, Bottas P7, Russell, P8, meaning his streak of top five is over. Ricardo, P9, and P10. I'm going to give it to Stroll. And now, give me a minute to explain that one as well. But first, my bold prediction, um, I guess, it's besides Russell losing his top five, Stroll scoring, or McLaren having a mega bounce back weekend after a shocker in Miami, is that I think Sainz is going to be, like, deathly close to pole position. I think Leclerc is somehow still going to squeak it out, but I think this this pole position fight between the Ferraris is going to be like under half of a hundredth of a second. Like I think it's going to be that close. I think the gap between Sainz and Leclerc is just going to be tiny here. Leclerc is still going to get it, and it's going to be heartbreaking to see how close Sainz was to that pole position. Um, but I guess I also want to shout Lando. I think that like out of nowhere, we might see like a Lando, like P3 um, in qualifying or something like that. In the race, I don't think McLaren's going to be that far ahead, but I do have him best of the rest. But I think in qualifying, we might see some like shock Lando performance here. McLaren was great here in testing as well. They fell behind in Bahrain because of like issues with the car. But in Spain, you know, it was Russell calling out Ferrari and McLaren for being the ones to look out for. It didn't even mention Red Bull. Although I guess I wouldn't either if I was in Mercedes. But anyways, that's my bold prediction. I still think Max moves up to P2 um, in the race. I think Ferrari finishes on the podium. 
I don't have anything bold um, in terms of where they actually finish, but I think we might see some things in qualifying that are pretty shocking. Um, anyway, uh, I got some quick mentions uh, later about some possible upgrades, um, but there was no race this weekend, which means it's time for silly season. All right, whose seat is it gonna be today? We are going to be talking about the hottest seat in F1 in the most unfortunate sense, and that's the seat of Canadian Williams driver Nicholas Latifi. This weekend, it has been announced that Nick DeVries will be in Alex Albon's seat for FB1, fulfilling one of the two mandatory young driver's tests that all teams have to do. DeVries um, is hardly young. He's actually the Mercedes reserve driver as well. But I think this confirms that the reigning Formula E champion was definitely in the running for the seat that Albon um, was able to get in for this year. There was rumors about Hulkenberg. There was rumors about DeVries. And I think this confirms that DeVries definitely was in the running. It's kind of interesting seeing DeVries go to Williams because, you know, Mercedes has to do young driver's tests as well. And you'd think that, like, he would definitely hop in the Mercedes, considering George Russell's now at the team. They don't have him to do young driver's tests. So maybe he's going to get running with both teams. But I think this is going to be a great opportunity for DeVries because if he outperforms Latifi, even in practice, even one practice session, they're going to have data. And, you know, it might not show up on the leaderboards, but they're going to have data. If DeVries is looking much better than Latifi, it's going to be a horrible look for our fellow Canadian um, I think DeVries is solid. I'm not sure if he's talented enough for Williams to want to make that change from Latifi to DeVries because, like I said, DeVries is hardly young. He is a Dutch driver who's 27 years of age already, and he's going to be really wanting to prove his worth, but I don't know. It just, it's very, 27 is very old to bring in someone. You know, Latifi's got much more experience within the team. He obviously brings that great sponsor um, of Safina, and it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I can't see them bringing in Nick DeVries, but hey, it's possible. But I want to bring this up. Oh, you want to hear the last five Formula 2 winners? I'm glad you asked. Uh, 2017, Charles Leclerc. He drives for Sauber in 2018. 2018, George Russell wins the F2. He drives for Williams in 2019. In 2019, it was Nick DeVries. He goes and drives in Formula E. Mind you, DeVries won F2 in his third season. So he was against Leclerc and Russell in 2017 and 18. Um, those other two drivers won in their first season. So there's a bit of a difference there. 2020, Mick Schumacher, he drives for Haas in 2021. It was his second season in F2 and he won. And then 2021, Oscar Piastri. He does what Leclerc and Russell did, winning F2 or... He won F3 and F2 back-to-back seasons, F2 in his first season, of course. Um, and he doesn't have a seat. So DeVries and Piastri are obviously the two that don't have a seat of those five. Um, however, it isn't Pi- Piastri isn't at all driving in any series where DeVries is at least in Formula E winning last season, by the way. Um, and I think if it were between those two, you have to go with Piastri. However, it's not that simple for Williams because, um, well, actually, I want to read this quote first before I get into why it's just, it's not an easy call for Williams to just take the quote unquote better driver, the younger, more talented looking driver. Um, Alpine um, team principal, 
Otmar Safnar, because this is not just me coming up with this idea that Piastri could go to Williams. Otmar Safnar was asked about this, and he did not shut down the rumors that Piastri could get a drive with Williams. Alonso is out of a contract at the end of the season, but it's looking pretty clear that he wants to continue in Formula 1. He's not ready to retire. Ocon is locked up for a couple more years still, and he seems to be an improving driver. He's caught off to one of his best starts in his career. Um, and apparently the decision about their driver lineup is expected around the British GP time. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I hear that, and I'm like, I'm kind of shocked because Alpine surely won't kick a legend like Alonso to the curb, right? Like, there, there's no way they're doing that. And Ocon, after his best start to the season uh, in his career, they, they won't kick him to the curb either, will they? I mean, he's also a French. I, I get why they signed him to that deal last year. Um, it's just a really weird spot to be in for Piastri because when you're being com compared to the likes of Charles Leclerc and George Russell, two guys who are just phenomenal drivers having great seasons this year, you need to find a way to get a Piastri or someone like those two, right? The, he's being compared. He's still unproven, but he's done the exact same thing in juniors as they did. You have to find a way to get this guy in your lineup. And, you know, I think... They might try, like Alpine might try to get him a spot at Williams, who's at least driving. He's actually also a reserve driver with McLaren, but I, I don't see that happening. It was basically if Ricardo couldn't race in Bahrain, he was in, and that was basically... And that actually would have been a really bad look in hindsight for Piastri. No one really talked about that. If he got in for Ricardo, it would have been a horrible, horrible first race because of the problems with that McLaren. But anyway, the issue for Williams as I was mentioning earlier, is, is actually very simple. Latifi is the more experienced driver, as I mentioned. He's got the huge sponsor in Sofina, as I mentioned. But his performance just simply hasn't been there, and that's why we're even talking about this seat in the first place. As sad as it's to uh, talk about a Canadian driver leaving Formula 1, I don't want to see it. But, you know, I don't think Williams has had two quality drivers at the same time since the days of Bottas and Massa, which was quite a while ago, and they actually had a decent car back then too, but that's a different conversation. Um, and I think they might want to look in that direction, trying to get two quality drivers, because Latifi's nowhere near points. Albon, when something happens in the race, he's gotten into the points twice this season, especially Australia. That was a brilliant drive. That was less lucky. That was just almost pure driving. And, you know, Williams finished eighth last year with a bit of luck. They can they can start winning some more prize money if they actually have two drivers who are capable of winning. Like, they can beat Haas this year, you know? Like, why not? Alpha Tauri? Like, if you have two good drivers, it's very possible. It only takes a few good results when you're that low in the standings to move up to, like, a P8 or a P7. And I, I don't think they would want to lose out on that opportunity but at the same time, say they bring in a Piastri and he was to shine. He even outperforms Albon, who has been a great driver this season. They'd likely lose him and end up empty-handed. That's the issue, because if he looks like all he's advertised, you know, Piastri is as great as a Leclerc or a George Russell, Alpine's going to want him in their seat, because he's still going to be, he's still going to have ties to them. So maybe that's what makes DeVries a little bit more enticing is the fact that they could bring him in. I don't think Mercedes is going to promote Nick DeVries um, to their team, even after Lewis retires, unless DeVries also somehow 
shines bright. Um, so I think they could have a little bit more security with a DeVries and maybe even if there's a young driver in their academy like Logan Sargent. I think an American driver in Formula One would be a great thing. Williams, I think, would love to do that. Um, but that's the issue with signing Piastri is just that he is probably going to be great. But is it really worth it for Williams to replace him with Latifi, who has the experience, who has the financial backing, for possibly only one year in their seat, and then they have to start all over again? So only time will tell. I think this one is a very interesting one, getting rid of Nicholas Latifi, because really if you're if Williams is ready to move on from the money that he brings in, then that opens up the opportunity for a lot of different things to happen and see which direction that they would go in. Um, so, yeah, that's all I really wanted to mention on the silly season uh, topic. Now I want to get into a couple quick mentions. All right, quick fire mentions. Sometimes I do these quote unquote quick fire mentions and they are not quick at all. So I'm gonna to try to run through these a little quicker this time. First, Red Bull. They're bringing a pretty significant upgrade package to Spain as I hear, improving arrow, saving um, a few kilograms of weight. That could bring Red Bull to mighty status if they already have all this straight line speed and then they get so much better aerodynamically. They might run away at this championship, but apparently that's not going to be their biggest um, upgrade of the season. I think they're eyeing Silverstone as gonna. it's going to be their biggest upgrade of the season, their biggest package, I should say. So maybe it's a bit silly for me to predict Ferrari this weekend, but I have a feeling it's going to be a Ferrari 1-2 in qualifying and that the Red Bull upgrade package isn't going to be as significant as people think. It's going to be Silverstone when they bring in those major ones. Plus, Ferrari is also bringing an upgrade package of their own. They're changing something with their floor, so maybe it reduces the porpoising a little bit, gets them a little bit closer to the optimum performance of the car, just as Mercedes is trying to do, which is a perfect segue into Mercedes also hinting at more upgrades as they try to get pace back in their car as quickly as possible so they don't have to abandon this season. Because time, time's running out here. Mercedes has to figure some stuff out if they want any chance of competing. I would say, honestly, it's already over. Um, because they have to kind of be on top of Ferrari and Red Bull to catch up. They can't just get to their level and then think that they're going to compete because they're already so far behind. But anyway, the biggest news in terms of upgrades is actually not in any of the top teams. It's in Aston Martin. A big one. Lance Stroll is getting the only AMR 2022B spec car. It's being said that the Aston team is struggling the most with porpoising out of anyone, even more than Mercedes, and that it's hindered them from setting up the car the way it was designed. You know, that's what Mercedes has been saying this whole time as well. It really hurts just their, they, they can't really run the car like they want to because the ride height is so compromised and everything is just kind of, Everything is getting affected by the porpoising. So this heavily updated new spec car, it will be available to Lance only. And maybe they're looking for direct comparisons on track um, because Vettel is going to be still driving the old car. Maybe it's because Lance has had more running with the old AMR because Vettel had to miss the first two races of the season. But it's probably just likely they don't want to use all the resources of if this spec car doesn't work. So I'm told that this... AMR, the reason I'm calling it a spec car 
is because it is so heavily upgraded. It's like almost a brand new car, even though it technically is the same car. But I think what this all means is, is if, if this heavily upgraded Aston does not work, if they don't see major improvement, it is very possible that they will start over completely from a design perspective. And that could mean, I don't want to say it, but that, that could open up a possibility for like a 2021 Haas scenario where they just kind of give up. Although it seems like they're already good enough that they're not going to be as bad as last year's Haas or as far off. Um, but if all the other teams, conti teams continue to improve and they just say, screw it, let's not spend any money this season, can put all our resources towards a brand new car for next season, Aston could be like completely out of the picture in point scoring scenarios like completely. So I just wanted to throw that out there for you guys if you guys haven't heard that because that could be huge and it could be great news for other good teams who are just trying to pick up some points because um, they're going to be hoping that this Aston card does not work. So that's why I have Stroll P10 because I don't, I don't think, I mean, Aston has been a bit of a letdown, let's be honest. And I think it wouldn't shock us to see them kind of screw this up, but I think with a heavily upgraded car, if it's going to be that far ahead, I think Aston is close. Like, they've gotten themselves closer. You know, they scored points in Imola. Lance kind of luckily scored in Miami. Vettel should have scored. They're not that far off. And if this car really is that heavily upgraded, I don't think it's going to be, like, a total disaster. I think that would be ridiculous to suggest, honestly. So I got Stroll in P10. And I think we might see a pretty solid qualifying from him as well. So let's go Canada. Let's go Lance Stroll. I want to see P10. I want to see Aston up there. I think when Aston first got announced that it was joining Formula 1, everyone wanted it to succeed, especially after such a great 2020 season with Racing Point. I think the expectations for them were so much higher. But, you know, they did say it's going to take some time, but their goal was to become a title-winning um, unit eventually. They, they might still get there. You know, the factory is being built, so don't give up all hope on Aston yet, but this could be a pivotal weekend in their future. All right, um, as I do before the end of every episode now, a quick shout-out to a brilliant sim racing league in RLR, Raw League Racing, the Champions Division, which I am in, is at the Marina Bay Circuit in Singapore this Friday. So if you want to check out our league, go to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Look up Raw League Racing to get our races with commentary. We now have two commentaries, um, commentators, I should say, um, co-hosting our races. It makes it so entertaining. They do such a great job. But if you know, if you want to just watch me, I'm okay with that. You can come to my Twitch channel. Be crazy. Watch my personal streams. So that will do it for the Pierre Gasly episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 11 next Monday after the Spanish Grand Prix to talk a little Espanol and a little bit of Monaco. This is one you won't want to miss next week. I'm telling you, Monaco is going to be one of the best moments of the season. A little sneak peek. I'm predicting Leclerc to win it. Let's go. All right, guys. Goodbye.